Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fliplet podcast. My name's Ian Bream, the CEO of Fliplet, and today I am joined by two very special guests, Anthony and Sam. So Anthony, let's start with you. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me in. Um, my name is Anthony Cano. I'm the Managing Director at Auction Startups, a traditionally seen as a tech accelerator here in London and Birmingham, but now we work more closely with corporate and public sector organizations to engage them within the startup ecosystems we work within and offer advisory services around the programs that they're touching to develop. And one specific area that is corporate innovation for internal capacities. Excellent. Cool. And Sam, uh, how about yourself? Um, hi, I'm Sam. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Pollinate. Uh, we've been working with Anthony and um, Oxygen for a while. We run internal innovation programs for large corporates to help them nurture innovation from within. And we've built a platform to support that, a future of work platform. Uh, we've been doing it for about two years, and I've got a background in kind of digital transformation for really large organizations with one of the big four. Amazing. So it sounds like you guys are both going to be well suited to today's topic, which is corporate innovation. So before we go too deep into corporate innovation, I think I should ask you guys, what is corporate innovation? What do you, do you think, think it is? Um, I think corporate innovation, uh, from my perspective, and I come from an accelerator perspective, so my background is about working with startups to develop their capacities as a business, which might mean they engage with startups, where Sam has a bit of a different hat on. So for me, Corporate innovation, it quite simply, is about differentiating the way in which you work towards whatever your future goals or aspirations are as a company. You know, the last kind of decade, we've seen the rise of the startups and the rise of accelerator programs supporting new ways of doing things in a more quickly and agile way. And for me, corporate innovation is about how they interpret that. And they approach it in ways in which they can do it within their companies to kind of stay ahead of the curve and be a part of this startup trend of new development technologies, but in their own way at a scalable level. And for me, corporate innovation really is about keeping up with disruption. So we've got all these huge trends of emerging technologies coming up, and we've seen some of the big global companies that we do recognize struggle to keep up with that pace of change. The bigger you grow, the harder it is to move really quickly. So it's all about creating new ventures, um, investigating new technologies, new business models, engaging new markets. Um, That's what it is for me. And so you guys have a lot of experience with corporate innovation. You're working with clients who are eager to do corporate innovation. Is it working? Do you think that generally corporate innovation is something that companies are doing well? So from my perspective, there's some really interesting research that's coming out of this. And um, Patrick Forth said something amazing. He said 75% of the Fortune 500 will be names that we don't recognize by 2020. That's an incredibly scary statistic for most of kind of the big C-suite levels of, of global corporations. Um, and we know that everyone's aware of this. So PwC's CEO kind of survey showed that 91% of leaders know that innovation is a strategic priority. But we also know that 51% of companies struggle to innovate. And even more dramatically, 75% of all corporate innovation programs fail. So we've really seen a lot of money and time wasted in initiatives and programs that just don't work. So currently, I think we've seen some amazing initiatives, but we've seen a lot of initiatives that haven't really led to true innovation. Um, And we've seen a lot of innovation through acquisition, which is incredibly expensive. So why do you think it's failing? I think there's three main reasons for me that it's failing. Um, And it's structure of how they look at kind of innovation. It's not, it should not be seen as a business as usual activity. 
transparency in terms of objectives and goals to the whole organization and to the outside world. And the biggest one for me is culture. How are you engaging with external parties, startups, and with your own employees? Those are the kind of three big pillars, I think. Uh, and so considering you guys are, are talking with corporates about innovation on a daily basis, uh, do you have an opinion on why or, or what's the key thing that they're coming and wanting to talk to you about? I, I, is it those three things, Sam, or is it actually other things that they think are the problem? Uh, and that's what they want to talk to you about. And you guys have to kind of go, whoa, 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 let, let's check that you've got these three things in place first. I think some of it just comes from um, the difficulties of keeping up with the outside world. So a lot of people in their home life, they're all completely digital literate. They use Facebook and WhatsApp and geolocation devices and um, everyone's kind of familiar with it. And then you go into work, into your corporate life, and sometimes you're using an older laptop, you're on Excel, you're on PowerPoint, you're sending emails. And there is a divide between those two worlds, I think. And a lot of people are seeing that and knowing that startups don't have that divide. And so keeping up with that pace of change, people know it's a problem. Um, so a lot of it actually, I think, comes from just the struggle to innovate. People know that they need to change and it's just really hard to do it. So Oxygen has been involved in a lot of different programs to try to stimulate innovation. Why don't companies just take these programs and use them? Um, so there's been a series of different programs involved in the last kind of decade or so. I mean, um, for those who are listening, don't know what an accelerator is, probably a quick rundown of that. An accelerator traditionally is a 13-week incubation program in which a accelerator like ourselves will find 10 early-stage companies at the product stage, maybe pre-revenue, invest a very small amount of seed funding into them. And over the course of 13 weeks, we help them develop that business by bringing in mentors and experts to work them around specific business functions or specifically to the area or industry they're in. We then prepare them for the end of that 13 weeks to present to a series of investors so they can raise their first round of seed funding and also try to engage them with potential customers and get them known in the marketplace. So that's on a traditional accelerator program, so that's gone the assumption that's what we're talking about. Um, first program, most people know is Y Combinator, um, launched by Paul Graham back in 2005 out in America, and since then we've seen hundreds of programs explode around the world. I mean, in London at the moment, there's about 60 different accelerator programs, some that agnostically will take on companies from all different industries, some that are vertical-specific, who might be cybersecurity or fintech. Um, we label that as um, accelerator 1.0, just a model, and that's what we used to do. Um, for about the last 12 months, we've kind of pivoted away from that. And the reason being was, um, in the last four or five years, we've seen a new breed of accelerator, and these are more corporate-driven programs. Um, what I mean by this is we see a lot of corporates who are now developing their own programs to invest in startups. So a great example is Barclays Accelerator, a fintech program, but that's powered by a current accelerator, Techstars. But then you have, on the other side, you have Microsoft Ventures, Microsoft's own program on their investment arm that invests in early stage companies, and then Telefonica's Wira program doing across several verticals. So the idea for here was it became various different reasons. Um, we're at Microsoft Ventures. We want people using uh, Microsoft technology and platforms. Uh, we're Barclays. We're trying to see what new technology is. But overall, looking to potentially acquire companies or invest into those companies uh, as a future growth strategy. And as Sam was saying, to find new technology and see what the trends are. Now, we, we, we did a program with the UK Tide, the British government, which was an international accelerator program for uh, an initiative here called Sirius, where they had taken several accelerators in the UK to basically take top international talent and develop them in the UK. So basically providing as a service. Now, 
that's been great for the last couple of years in terms of, as Sam was saying, trying to get insights and knowledge investing into companies. But actually, from an innovation perspective, does it work? Not really, because it's a big, large organization engaging the startup ecosystem. But that doesn't mean they're innovating. These companies are still innovating. And ultimately, in the day, it's not their creation. So at the moment, we're kind of what we're talking about, and this is something in the summer we were talking about devising, or what we called uh, Accelerator 3.0, which is the next stage. Currently, it's been all about investing in, but now it's more about co-creation. So how do we engage that ecosystem to work with us to create something new rather than investing in something that exists or learning from that to try and create something completely independent? So uh, it sounds like these programs have been around for quite a while, and it sounds like you guys have devised, a, a, you know, an, a, say, an enhanced version, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I guess, like, why don't companies just take the accelerator model and run it in-house on their own? Like, I mean, I guess it kind of comes back possibly to the, the, the issues that Sam spoke about. But I don't know. It, it makes sense to me that, like, if I'm a, if I'm a Barclays, why run an external accelerator program? Why not just go and... You know, siphon, you know, siphon off a bit of resource. Go, you guys are starting your own internal accelerator. Do whatever you need to do, make it work. Like there we go, we've kind of created almost a department for innovation. That's exactly right. I think, and a lot of people have tried to do that. But the key to success, we think, is around this collaboration piece. Is around not trying to do everything yourself and reinventing everything yourself. So if you can work with existing tech that exists out there that startups are working at you've got a lot better chance of accelerating those ideas quickly. So you could silo off a part of your firm and just do in-house innovation, but you might not get the cultural elements that are coming really from millennials, from some of the amazing developers that are freelancers and contractors that don't necessarily want to work for big corporates. And one of the massive things that we have to address really when we talk about innovation is the paradigm shift that's happening with the way that millennials view work and view jobs. Now, there's some, again, amazing reports coming out from Odesk and uh, McKinsey and Deloitte saying that, and the FT saying that 66% of millennials plan on leaving their corporate jobs within the next two to three years. Now, if you're seeing this kind of war for talent heating up, you have to engage with these new ways of thinking and new ways of working, and you have to engage with the talent, sometimes not even within your organization, but as contractors and freelancers and startups. And we know that Google work with twice as many contracts and freelance and startups than they do with their own employees. And I think other big corporates have to embrace this model to do true innovation. And they have to kind of do the internal accelerator model, which is kind of 2.0, um, and find within innovation from within, as well as engaging startups and freelancers. And that's what we're really calling Accelerator 3.0. And we've got a whole structure around it that's proving to work really, really well. Okay, so let's talk about how we solve these problems. Either I feel like we've touched on quite a number of suggestions, um, but personally, if if I was uh, if I was in a high street bank right now, you know, I've got mm, one hundred and fifty thousand people working in my organization. I'm listening to this podcast, which you know would be very flattering for us all, and uh, and I'm hearing you guys talking about these great ideas. But like, do I just like go from zero to one hundred? Like, where do I start? What do I do first? So the first thing to address, I'm going to go back to the three pillars, and it's transparency. You've got 150,000 employees. Does everyone know what your organization is doing in terms of innovation? Do they know how to get involved? Do they know the goals? Do they know the objectives? Transparency on how to get involved and what the projects are is super important. Now, in our programs, anyone can apply. You could be uh, at the front desk and have an amazing idea or see a problem and think, I really need to think about this, and I need to think about it in my own time. 
So that's transparency. And again, transparency for the outside world. If a startup is like, I think I've solved one of the massive problems that Barclays have, how do they get in touch? The second one really is structure. So before we move on, can I just ask a couple of key questions about transparency? Because quite frankly, if I'm inside an organization, that is not a normal part of my culture. I do not go and put all of the areas that I would like to be innovating and probably beating competitors up on my public website and say, hey, if you can help us like win, get in touch. Because surely everyone else is just going to go, hang on, that's what they're doing. I mean, a great example of this is uh, Apple, right? Known for their secrecy, obviously highly innovative. Um, half, half of the press monitors their job listings to try to get an idea about what the hell are they even doing at Apple? Because they're so good at keeping their secrets hidden. So, I mean, is it realistic to ask a corporate to just start like basically airing their innovation projects in public? Uh, and won't that kind of undermine them competitively? It might not be in public, but to their internal audience, I think it is. So Apple do have secrets and they are well known for it. Um, but in a big organization where you're struggling to innovate, you might have amazing talent that you don't know about, that just don't have access to your projects. With the external market, again, it's a really good question. Um, but I think with startups, if they, can, if they knew that they could help or if they knew you were trying to solve a problem, they might approach you. Um, a really great example of this is IDEO's platform where it is public and corporates do say their problems and startups and IDEO can help solve this in a quite public space. And the chances are if you're working on something as a corporate, someone else is already working on it as well. So the idea of keeping secrets is great, I think, when it comes to design, especially in terms of design thinking. But in terms of tech, most of the stuff exists everywhere. Yeah, I think I'll add to that. Again, you... If you look at the very high-level structure of it, what are we trying to achieve? What areas are we trying to look into it? Um, that can be as open as you want it to be. But when it comes down to, okay, we've now selected, say, 10 really great ideas for a new program, you're not going to be making a big song and dance about those. I mean, when you launch a business, even a startup, you don't say put a website and make the biggest song and dance about it until you've got something ready. So especially corporates are going to happen. But as long as people understand what you're trying to achieve, what the objective is as an organization innovatively, that's fine. And then you get down to the product and you'll develop that and at a time you'll choose. Um, we work with AXA Insurance and they have a fantastic global innovation program called Starting. And every year, the most open other programs, they set two challenge areas. So last year it was um, connected homes and retirement. So they said, this is our innovation objectives, but this year specifically, we're trying to innovate in these areas and these are some great examples of the technologies and the things we're seeing. So that allowed the staff to really start focusing areas, but also it allowed to their network, their customers, their partners saying, this is where we're coming in on. So suddenly they were getting engagement at a very specific level, but they still weren't giving away a lot of detail. So it's about feeding out the right information at the right time. But the transparency comes on understanding we're all trying to get to this big term vision. But in between, different things are coming out at different times. I can see a huge number of benefits uh, coming out of that. I mean, as you say, you know, getting kind of customers aligned on, uh, you know, how one of their suppliers is trying to innovate, uh, obviously getting the external market maybe excited about, okay, these are, this is a lofty vision for like a, uh, you know, a finance company to have. Um, and then of course, uh, getting that internal buy-in, but at the same time, those two ideas were pretty general, right? Oh, we want, you know, to, to help retired people. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, how? Well, I haven't figured that bit out yet, but we're working on it. So, yep, that makes sense. So, what's, uh, what's step number two, Sam? So, step number two would be structure. And again, it's linked to transparency, but it's the idea that you know that there are three or four points and three or four staging gates that you have to go through. 
um, for an idea or a kind of project to become a new venture. So a lot of the time right now, what we're seeing, and we work a lot, we've worked a lot with kind of PwC, and they used to have a model really around creating business cases and looking far into the future. We're now emphasizing experimentation. So how do you create experiments or MVPs, minimum viable products, to prove that your idea has value and it has traction? And how, once you've proved that, you build it a bit further and you test it. Once you've got that, how do you scale it into a full product? And you've got all these staging gates and structure is completely clear and completely transparent and you know why you're not picked in order to get through to, the, to a bigger funding round. So what we're trying to do is make corporates think like VCs. VCs see thousands of ideas a year and invest in 1% of them. And we're trying to get the employees to think like entrepreneurs. What assumptions do I have? How am I validating them? How am I proving that my concept has value? So that's the structure piece that has to be really clear. And once people understand it, it's much easier to embark on that journey. And it becomes quite scientific. We don't think innovation is this fluffy concept that you come up with in your sleep. It's actually really hard work. It's actually around iterations, um, observation, the scientific method, what works and what doesn't, looking at test results. And that's what we're trying to do around the structure piece. And I think also that that structured process lends itself to the first point of transparency or open communication, because all of a sudden people understand what's going on. As you say, uh, it gives more clarity to potential um, uh, kind of acceptance or rejection, um, which often can help acceptance or rejection to be easier to accept if I understand why, uh, even if I don't necessarily understand the reasons, but I understand when I'm going to get decisions, that can definitely help to encourage people. So, I mean, uh, I can also see structure being very hard for organizations to swallow um, because quite frankly, most organizations are not used to people coming along and going, hey, we've got these three rules. And one of them means you have to start thinking like something that you are not, i.e. VC or, or a startup accelerator. So I guess what are the common like challenges that you see corporates struggling with when they're trying to accept this new structure? So that comes back to kind of the last pillar. And really it's around, you just mentioned it, it's failure. How do you learn to accept um, learning even though it hasn't worked and one of the really interesting things that we did is that some of the staging gates we offered cash for people to let go of the idea we said if you stop working on your idea we'll give you 500 pounds and it meant that people there was a reward for saying actually i've tested this i've spoken to customers i've spoken to the market and the idea we think was great on paper but once we started testing it and developing it it didn't work i'd rather take the 500 pounds i'm going to go out for a really nice meal um, and that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And again, it's the culture piece of like when you work with startups or outside people, where people are so up for experimentation rather than the hierarchical approach where really to get promoted or to impress your manager, you really just have to do your job really well. And that's what corporates are really good at, execution. They're really good at getting it right. Whereas innovation isn't necessarily always around that. Yeah. And I think as well, if you think from completely from the corporate perspective, it's all this is all risk alarms are going off front and centre when you, we speak for a lot of these senior people in corporates. Um, but you've got to remember the kind of, the, let's talk about the lean start, the lean method approach. It's all about de-risking what you're doing. And so actually it's about allowing them to understand the de-risking process. So if we're talking about structure, these programmes are a framework, an innovation framework, and you're giving people the ability to have freedom within this framework to work outside of the normal constraints they might have within their day job or the rocks of red tape that might come with some organizations. 
But at the same time, there's going to be this frame, this barrier. Um, and having worked on the PwC program with guys at Pollinate, and one of the things I think they got really right, and it was really great to come and see this, was the engagement with key functions. So legal, risk, brand, IT. So they were brought in from day one to be a part of this program. So like the traditional accelerator program, you get expert mentors from industry coming in. Well, actually, you had senior people from risk, legal, brand, and IT coming in as mentors to the teams. So they were basically there to say, look, go and build what you want, but remember, we've got a brand that's worth, I think it's 17 or 18 billion, not, don't quote me on that. So you can build the product, but you've got to make sure it's visualized and articulated in a great way. Okay, we love you to build that app, but remember, when you want to scale this back into the company, we build on this kind of technology. So it allowed them to say, go and do that, but remember, we can't fall off these cliff edges, but so that when we come to actually bring us back into the organization, it's not going to hit a brick wall where you go, sorry, we can't touch that because you haven't engaged us and actually that is not physically possible, you know. So it's, it's about creating that framework and the freedom, making sure you've got those key boundaries which just keep everybody going up towards that shared vision. It means you don't sit down the line, just get completely stopped in your tracks. And that's the de-risking what we, what we talk about, which trying to elevate any problems the corporates might have around doing something new or using technology they've never worked with before. So based around that point, then, I imagine that there's quite a bit of um, almost pre-approval. So you, you would determine a structure and you would go and find the key stakeholders and you would educate them on this proposed structure. I assume give them the opportunity to give feedback on it before it's implemented, because if not, they're just going to block it. And as you say, there were four key areas uh, in the PwC example. I imagine any one of those blocks it and the whole program is dead. Is that fair? 100%. And I think a lot of the time those departments are seen as blockers, but they shouldn't be. They are part of the solution. And I think that's sometimes where some of the frictions happen within organizations where everyone says, oh, IT is a blocker. They don't let us use Slack. That shouldn't be the discourse. Companies have these rules for good reasons around data security and risk management. When you take those departments and you make them part of the solution, actually they feel engaged and actually you'll feel like they really want to contribute. You go to a risk expert and you say, listen, we're trying to do this. It's really exciting. We're trying to push the whole organization globally forward. Do you want to be part of this? You'll have very few people that say, absolutely not. This sounds like a waste of time. A lot of people are very open to the idea, but only when you ask the right questions and you engage them at the right time. So as Anthony said, it's super important to do that. I think a great um, terminology or analogy that I heard for that um, was once when uh, somebody from PwC senior brand team came and said, look, we don't want to be brand police. We want to be creative collaborators. And what they meant by that was saying, you know, you're developing amazing ideas. The reality is, though, we still have certain structures. So if we engage with you from day one and we can help you understand where we're coming from, it's going to make you really be able to get up some steam of what you're doing, but make sure that actually when it comes to the realities of putting this public facing, we're, we're, we're aligned under that brand. And I think that's a really nice way to think about it. It actually probably leads in a bit of the culture, that mindset of collaboration. And, you know, I've seen with a number of other organizations we've worked with where people are cold to saying, no, we're not going to do it. And I said, well, it's not going to progress. But then you ask that, go back and ask that question, are you aligned with the same vision? Because if you're aligned with the same vision, you're then able to go back and work through those things. And I think that's the, the really important part that starts that cultural mindset piece. Definitely. It stops all the kind of skunk work projects that go on where someone works on from something for seven months. They come up with amazing ideas. They work with such and such. They find budget. And then they're brought in back into the organization. And all the departments are just like, this can never work. Why didn't you ask us before? And then they are upset because they won't, they won't ask at the right time. So we've obviously started to talk a little bit about culture. So go on, Sam. Tell us about culture. 
the big things around culture for me is this element, as we've mentioned quite a few times, of collaboration. But also we mentioned secrets. And there's these fantastic new words being invented in the innovation space. And one of them that I really like is co-opetition. <laughs> so it's the idea of you have to collaborate with some of your smaller competitors. So you might have a startup that's kind of trying to steal some of your margins or profits or revenue. But actually, they've got a great piece of technology. They've got a great brand. They could really help some of your services or some of your key functions. Why not engage them? Why not use some of their products, work with them? And really, we're looking for win-win situations. This is a cultural element that in the past, it was more of a kind of we must compete and you've got to go to head-to-head. I think that's changing. And there's so many signs of that. Again, open communities, open source code, um, design communities, the whole gig economy, open marketplaces, all these are moving towards kind of a connected world. And we think that big organizations are going to have to fit into that work and work just the same. And actually, we think that they want to. It's just quite a slow evolution and process to, to get to that point. So culture really underpins that whole movement. And what do you see are the primary blockers around trying to get that cultural change required for innovation? Some of the ones are really practical. So it's just procurement, how to get startups in if they haven't existed for three years or haven't got a certain amount of revenue, Um, data security and some of the legal stuff. So when it's a big bank and there's lots of protected information, you have to be really careful around it. But I think there can be more creative conversations around how how we deal with that. Um, using new tools again organizations are sold tools every day every startup is saying we've got this new collaboration tool or platform or whatever but there are ways of beta testing 300 tools a year and seeing which ones work and then embracing them rather than saying we've been with Oracle or we've been with Salesforce for 20 years and we're not going to change engaging entrepreneurs again the whole idea that Google had of 20% of your time having thinking time Having these initiatives or these kind of accelerated 3.0 movements really, really help that culture piece. Um, And then finally, we mentioned it again, but getting your key departments in, IT, risk, brand, and really educating them on on some of those um, initiatives that are going on and making them feel part of it. I think... One of the things, I'll go back to that risk point, and it's it's risk avoidance. Uh, And corporates have big risk of failure, especially if they've got product services out there in the market already working. But the reality is, they work now, they're probably not going to work in the future, or someone else can come along and overnight do what you were doing, but better, and suddenly you've got this unicorn billion dollar company that's done it in two years. And so we go back to bringing all those people in, and the culture piece almost comes full loop to back to the beginning, where it's transparency. And it's about everybody being on that same page from day one, because actually, you know what's going to happen is... We may come into an organization with the frameworks we're talking about and deliver it to them. Leadership has an understanding of what their vision is. But actually, it's the people in risk, it's people in legal, it's people in brand, people in ID who've been there and seen it come and go and have that domain knowledge and expertise that can offer the real value, not only to the ideas being generated, but actually how you structure that program. How do you engage them? At what point should I, in risk, be engaged in the program? Who should be talking to your people? So actually, in building that structure, through transparency let people know it's happening they need to be there from day one so you build this up together and that naturally starts to create that kind of culture bubble or that mothership as um, a lot of people like to say that all the innovation will spring out of 
I think that it's so fascinating to, to cover this topic. So just as we've been talking about culture and obviously reflecting on the other key topics, I think that there are two things that uh, have really stuck out for me. I think the first is it, it sounds like the corporates really need to understand, like you've got to almost prepare your organization in order to be able to accept and, and kind of um, swallow uh, the innovation that's that's going to be hitting your organization. And, you know, if you guys aren't formally accepting it, it's probably happening whether you like it or not. And people are trying to uh, kind of cut corners and get stuff into the organization out of almost desperation because it's not being accepted. Would, would you say that's fair? I would say 100%. I mean, we've talked about some examples of those that it's been working successfully with, but I could name you, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. but a good dozen organizations that we've got to different stages process where they haven't bought into it, they haven't understood it, or they want something specific, which actually doesn't correlate to what we're trying to achieve. And actually that part of preparing to deliver, I'm sure Sam could speak about it a lot more having been on both sides of the fence. That's actually the hard piece to get right because that sets the foundation and the path for anything else to come. If you don't get that right, it could fail tomorrow, it could fail a year from now, um, but only if you're going to make a good innovation program, it's going to be about culture, so it's going to be sustainable and scalable over a very long period. And, and yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, some of the stories that we have around that kind of desperation piece or people trying to push the agenda, we've done projects with clients um, that have tried to pay us through different countries because they didn't have the budget and they had to organize things in such a complicated way just to try and get a really simple solution. But once we started it rolling, people started accepting. So again, it's about starting small and experimenting. Just with the same as what we're doing, the structure doesn't have to start at a full global country level. You can start in one country or with one department and start experimenting from there. It doesn't have to be this huge, huge rollout, this scary rollout. Um, that's the first thing. And the other thing that you, you mentioned is um, it really has to come from the top. It has to come from leadership. So I think we both work mostly with the C-suite in the organizations that, that we deal with. Um, and when you've got good endorsement from the top, usually it's so much easier because people really embrace it and they're not scared of it. And they think, actually, this will be part of my remuneration and my manager or director will accept it and I'm allowed to do this. That's, that's super key. Yes. Think of it like a startup, basically. When a startup launches, it doesn't launch a global product overnight with every feature and bells and whistles. It starts with a, a minimum viable product, a small iteration of that, and that's how it starts with the innovation programs we build. You do a small test of that, whether that be with a certain budget or in a certain division area of the company, and as that works, you start to scale and grow that, and it goes global. But you're testing it, and you're de-risking it, and you're evolving and changing it slowly and gradually. And so one of the other things that also occurred to me as we were having this conversation is actually, if you look at it from the opposite of the corporate, which is actually you look at it from the company who's trying to bring innovation to the corporate, uh, you can almost take everything you guys have said and apply it in almost the inverse. It's like, okay, so I'm a startup and I'm wanting to sell to, let's just take PwC as the example we've been mentioning. Um, what do I need to do in order to successfully sell to a company like PwC? And again, you can take everything that you guys have mentioned and almost make that into kind of qualifying criteria. Like, am I going to be successful selling to a corporate as, a, as an innovative startup? Well, I'm not if I can't get past procurement. I'm not if risk's going to block me. I'm not if I don't get brand approval, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I think that the, the, the kind of topics we've been covering uh, apply as much to startups to understand their customers as it is for, say, the, the corporate to be acquiring innovation from a startup. 100%. And again, it goes back to that second pillar of structure. If, as a startup, you understand the company's structure and you've done your research, 
you should know what their goals are, what their strategic priorities are, where you might be able to fit in in a structure. Are you a kind of fitting into the prototype experimentation bit? Are you fitting into HR business as usual? Should you be plugging into existing tech that they already have if they are using tools? You should kind of try and understand all of that. Um, for us, we help facilitate that, I think, because I think for a lot of small organizations, it's, as a corporate, it's really important to understand that it's really hard for them. Often they can't do the six months BD cycles and the nine months BD cycles, um, and that they're small, so we kind of help protect them, and I think we work with about 25, 26 startups that we bring into our programs and partner up with corporates. A great example is we've been working with um, Zorado, who are a blockchain startup who kind of span out a level 39 and helping them um, to kind of manage some of the ideas and projects that they're working with on our innovation programs. And that's been really successful. So exactly as you said, you need to understand all the key departments and how you're fitting in and where you're fitting into the structure. Yeah, and I'd probably add to that from our perspective, obviously having been an accelerator investing in startups to an accelerator providing it as a service to now helping develop these innovation programs. The resources, the talent and network are transferable from all of them. Our mentors, our investors, our partners went from being there to invest in our startups to providing it as a service to when we did it, we worked with the UKTI. And now we see a lot of that transferring to bringing them into the corporate site. Sam was saying about having um, startups come in, and we actually, great that we have our own alumni of startups that we, we work with and bring in, but actually our mentors and coaches, all these people, are well-versed in this area, and actually a lot of them have the background or experience of corporates, but obviously a couple de decades ago for some of our more senior mentors, the innovation piece of corporates didn't exist or it, they weren't able to approach it, but now they're able to come back in and offer some incredible insights, and it's about creating that ecosystem inside your organisation, but actually engaging the external and bringing those people in to be a part of that as a, as a, on a bigger scope of things. Um, and, you know, a couple of the corporate programs we worked on where staff had generated ideas, these people are now heavily engaged in the local startup and scale-up and technology ecosystems, not just with their ideas, but because actually it's helping them to enhance what they're doing, which they naturally bring back in the company without even having for the company to directly engage. And that's when you start having that kind of natural thing happen, then you, you're going really on the right line and developing to that even that next level or phase of that very organic development and that natural merge at the intersection between two worlds. S simple examples of that. If we brought in people like the CEO of Charlie HR, who did a, a talk to the internal entrepreneurs, and I think some of them developed a great relationship. And some of the PwC leadership and are looking at organizations like that and thinking, fantastic, I could really learn something from, from Rob and the way he pitches and the way he presents, even when I'm selling to my clients. So that kind of interaction is, is really incredible and really cool. I feel like we could keep talking about this topic all day, but uh, we must let our listeners uh, move on with their lives and probably start applying some of the advice that we've given to them. So guys, where can people find out more about you? Um, so you can go to our website, auctionstartups.com, although it's very outdated. We're going for a rebound at the moment, so it doesn't articulate what we currently do, but I assure you what I've talked about is very much true. Um, and then for me, you can get me anthony at oxygenstartups.com and then on Twitter, anthonywcatcwt. And on our side, website is pollinate.io, and you can get me at sam at pollinate.io, or find us on Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of it. <laughs> all that jazz. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, guys. I hope you have a fantastic day. Yeah, you too. Thanks thank very you. much.